Welcome to the Poe Politicking Show, created in 2008. Poe Politicking is a hip-hop meets self-help brand. With each conversation, we teach the babies and share success secrets with you, the listener. Our focus is to preserve the hip-hop culture and introduce the future upcoming stars. Past guests of the Poe Politicking Show include Yo Gotti, Megan the Stallion, the Baby, Currency, MC Light, Jay Prince, Dead Prez, Razcast, and more. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to get automatic updates of each episode. Keep politicking with Poe on social media at Poe Politicking. Visit our website, PoePolitikin.com, for more exclusive content. Welcome back to PoePolitikin.com. You're home for self-help me, Pop. Right now, we're live on YouTube, but check me out on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. One, two, one, two, and place to be with the homie, the captain, Paul Porter. How you doing? Good, 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 man. We got the same last name, so we family for sure. Uh, shit, I hope, I hope I, if I get any of uh, your jeans, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> man, you doing good already, bro. All right, and I got the book. So this is the book. I wish I could have got it signed. It's in the music business, man. It's been a long time. Yeah, so like I said, me and my wife actually, uh, I was being lazy, man. She was reading it for me. So she read it. I was just listening. <laughs> so she she read the book. Uh, but we got, I think um it picked up on like, you know, the first, the first beginning of it was kind of just you talking about your background, but then it picked up and you just be like, what, what's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next? And man, you have like a million jobs. I was like, yeah, I did. Like, well, you had well, a lot well, of jobs. Well, be let's be honest, the book opens up with payola at BET. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh but yeah, man, I, there were so many books that I read about the music industry that all weren't true. You know, we have so many superstar books. Or we got books like Steve Stout, who was a criminal at the record labels. And now he starts United Masters, which is like the biggest lie. All you have to do is read the front page of the contract and you don't own your masters. You mm. have to go through them to sell if somebody came to you with the deal, but this industry is a bunch of smoke and mirrors. And I try to, uh, you know, make the book real, you know, everything is a story of ups and downs, you know, these Cinderella stories that we read about people, people out here for money, man. And that's what rules everything in hip hop and the music industry and a whole lot more. All right. Did I have some questions? From reading the book, before we go into the questions, I just wanted you to, can you just give, you know, anybody that um, they should know about you, but anybody that, that doesn't, can you uh, just No, nah, they uh, shouldn't know, but uh, I'm a kid that grew up in the 60s in New York and Queens. I was lucky, man. My best friend growing up, his father divorced his mom and married Nina Simone. Mm. So I was seven, eight years old going to spend weekends at Nina Simone's house. Then another guy on my block, a guy named Bill Staten, one of the parents, he was in the music industry too. James Brown lived up the street. And um, I got to see a lot of things early. And when I went to school, he sent me with a hundred albums. And back then in the, you know, mid seventies, I was the man, I, I was going to record stores and one thing led to another college radio. Donnie Simpson hired me at NBC 
I got a television show. I went to BET, got to start that, spent over 10 years there. And just been lucky, man. I've had a lot of jobs from voiceover to New York radio to uh, entertainment tonight to CNN. You know, this uh, things just change in my life, man. Then I got crazy stories, too, because I was crazy for a long time. I was in D.C., you know, in the 80s when everything was jumping off. The station was fly. I was at KISS, NBC, and this some of the things that I got to see. Got to go to Africa with Stevie Wonder on his first trip working at BET in 92, and I always tell this story because it's one of my favorite stories. You don't mind if I tell oh, you good, man. Yeah. All right, so we go to Cameroon in 1992. Stevie Wonder's first trip. It was a small crew. We were going to do the uh, Cameroon soccer team, and the AIDS epidemic was in, uh, you know, Africa. So it was real scary, man. You know, the first day, the first time I've been to Africa, the the doors open. And I see a bunch of Chinese guys on the elevator. Mm. I was like, what is this? This is the 90s. They were over there doing business. But, uh, you know, so we went to the AIDS hospital and I literally threw up, you know, because it smelled weird. It was just, it was just powerful. And, you know, everybody, they spoke French in Cameroon. So all the women were hooking up with guys in the crew. But it didn't interest me because I went to the AIDS hospital. So that night, about one o'clock in the morning, I get a call. It's Stevie Wonder. Hey, Paul, you got some of those Magnum condoms? And I went down and gave Stevie Wonder condoms at two o'clock in the morning. That's my story. You just went to the AIDS hospital. You was straight. Yeah, I was like, hey, man, y'all do your thing, man. And Stevie called me. But anyway. Yeah, man. But yeah, I, go ahead. No, no. What you, what you got it. Nah, I, I just been lucky. I, I get bored in jobs. And I'm always trying to fight the system because the system's corrupt. So you get fired a lot. You know, I work for Kathy Hughes. I work for Bob Johnson. I work for the Suttons. In New York, I worked at AOL. I worked at NBC. It's been a grind, but uh, and it's you know it's just fun, man. When you try to 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 explore and find out what the business really works like. Yeah, what I like about the book too, like you went all the way from like you were saying Stevie Wonder. I know you was talking about uh, Babyface, but you went all the way from that talking about Rick Ross and Lil Wayne. So that lets me know like you navigating through this. You don't. Started like you sounded. You sounded like you started in the late seventies, and you all the way to now. So yeah. I just wanted you to kind of talk about just the, you know, it kind of just we went from R and B to more like hip hop dominated, but just I oh yeah, to- yeah. We've been stuck on stupid for twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know, even in you know the eighties and nineties when hip hop first started, it was different. Yeah. I was just saying how the music has changed in the nineties. You know, there were ballads that were number one song. I don't know if there's been a ballad number one black song in a long time. So we had more ballads, you know, and I did a study years ago. You can look it up, the rap on rap, did it with the Parents Television Council. 
And they studied all the videos that were on BET and MTV. This was like 15 years ago. And I think it was something like 86% of them were the same thing. It was, you know, violence, misogyny, and blame, you know, talking about money. Those are the only stories we tell. So that sort of bothers me because music was real powerful in my lifetime. There were so many things I learned off of records, you know, listening to songs from, you know, being young and through the years. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I don't know if you ever saw that uh, Boondocks episode where they was talking about BET. <laughs> yeah, he kind of reminded like the, the, the crazy part about it where you, uh, I was like, damn, when you was talking about Bob Johnson, uh -huh. he that meme, he told everybody he doing this for his family, he don't care about y'all, y'all can leave yeah. y'all too. I was like, damn. Yeah, but that's the realness of the business, you know? And the same thing with Kathy Hughes, who owns the most Black-owned radio stations in the history of broadcasting. Yeah. You know, when I started for her in 88, they were paying part-time as $10 an hour. And here it is, you know, 40 years later, they're paying part-time as $15 an hour. You know, so... How do you do that and, and get celebrated? But we celebrate a lot just by being the first. It's not always about doing it right. And then I guess, so I was I was wondering too, cause I like, like how you were saying, it was like, I noticed you was always fighting for the good. But my whole thing, I, I used to be like, well, why? Why are you just to say, well, you know what, man? I'm just gonna give you my money. Fuck all this other shit. Like why, what made no, you- because, because it was just sad, man. It was just sad the way they treat. I got lucky. My first job was at NBC. You know, I went from $10,000 a year to $70,000 a year. Then a television show in DC at age 24. I'm making a lot of money. So my thing was bringing people up. You know, I was at a union station, NBC, and they paid $205 a shift. And Kathy Hughes paid $40 a shift. Mm. So I would call jocks from other stations and say, yo, you need to come over here, Bob Thomas. You need to come over here, Stan Verrett, who's on ESPN. I, you know, it, it's, it just was natural because people hooked me up when I started, you know? And I, I know that doesn't work all the time. And damn, sometimes I wish I was greedy because my nickname now is DJ Broke His Shit. No, but I'm I'm all right. But yeah, I could have been a lot richer, but it's good, man. You know, and it pays. When you pay it forward, it always comes back to you. You know, it always comes back, you know, and I'm going to be 65 this year. So uh, I, I, I get it, man. It's about long term, not short term. I noticed your last sentence in your book. It says, I am proud. So I was ask you, like, uh, what would you say some of your proudest moments in your career were? You know, standing up for people, man. I, I teased there's a brother at uh, Radio One, Ron Thompson. In 1989, Kathy Hughes told me to fire him. You know, but I knew Ron had two new kids. He was young. He was working overnight. I said, if you fire him, you got to fire me. I'll put him on overnights and won't make him talk. Well, guess what? Ryan's there 43 years later with stock options and a pension. You know what I mean? 
it's like, why sometimes we fire people this for no reason or don't hire people because of, and, and I'd rather be surrounded with winners than losers. But I'm proud of starting stations. I'm proud of some of the things that happened at BET. I'm proud of breaking hit records. You know, I'm proud. I'm proud of building relationships. You know, when Joy Reid, I'm always good with talent. Like Wendy Williams, there's all these people that call me mentor because I got to see them young, man, and got to see them and work with them and build with them. So it's just paid off. It's just rewarding to me. Yeah, I was I was telling my wife because um, I heard you talking about basketball. So you know about like coaching trees and stuff like that. So I was looking. Kyle said, "Oh, I said he uh, he if he mentored me, um, Wendy Williams, you have a kind of effect with Shalomar because Shalomar came under uh, Wendy Williams. Uh-huh. So I was like, you know, Shalomar is the you know one of the top guys right now in the game, but that's." You know, it kind of came from you, if you can say say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it, that's funny you said basketball because that's what got me into music. Mm-hmm. I played basketball in college. My coach is in the Hall of Fame. Who? Jim Calhoun. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, so uh, basketball was big. Yeah, and things like the NBA. I, I did 10 NBA All-Star games, you know, the voice and – getting to travel to games and doing the, I did the NBA at, at uh, 50, the documentary. And this year it's, it's 75. I was like, damn, where's all this time? I remember when I was in Cleveland, when the, the top 50 were announced. So it, it's just keep trying to do something else, you know? And, and that's what I've been successful at. Like I used to do voiceovers back in the nineties, man. My first spot I hit, AT&T, it's all within your reach. And mm-hmm. that paid 65 grand. And I was all gun-ho. I'm going to do voiceovers. Because my man, Adolph, you remember a guy named Adolph Caesar? He was in Soldier Story as the Sards, the color purple, mm-hmm. little light skin. And he did the part, CJ, you little geechy. Anyway, <laughs> he was one of my teammates' uh, uncles. And he was big in voiceover. He was the voice of the wide world of sports, ABC in the 80s and 90s. And he always told me, you know, forget about the radio, do commercials. Yeah. And I didn't do it until later, until I got fired from a job 10 years later. And didn't do it because, you know, for every one audition, you, you, you might go on 20 auditions in book one. You know, so my ego was like, and I'm used to being a quiet storm or, you know, midnight love on BET or video vibrations, you know, so I wasn't, you, you just grow into things over time. And uh, if you keep your mind open, possibilities happen. And then I remember uh, in the book, you said Donnie Simpson told you to, when you first uh, auditioned for him, he wrote you back and said, use your diaphragm. So we was yeah. asking, wondering, so what does that actually mean when you said you, like, what? Well, well, you know, it's from talking, talking, holding your stomach. You know, radio, we used to take great pride in pronunciation and diction, you know, and that went out the window when hip hop came and everybody was like, yo, what up, what up, my You know, before it was 1090 WILD Boston, 
you had to have certain energy, <laughs> you know. And then when Frankie Crockett came along at BLS, it was, you know, a line of smooth 107.5 WBLS New York, you know. And, and now it's just something completely different. So uh, it's good to, huh? Working, I, didn't, I was reading the book, but was you ever in Atlanta? Yeah, uh, I worked doing talk radio at uh, B103 Sister Station, A-W-A-O-K. Because then I got into talk. That was my last radio job until I bought a station in Orlando six years ago. Yeah, because my aunt actually, uh, I don't, man, I don't, you know, this is my aunt. I don't know what station she worked at, but she actually used to be in Atlanta. Her name was uh, Deborah Somerville. I don't know. Yeah, uh-huh. She used to work. She, she, um, she used to be I on think she worked that's Kiss. Yeah. 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 Kiss 104. Yeah. Yeah. That's my aunt, man. Like, that's, um, I never heard her. I just knew she always was on the radio, but that's my aunt. I want to ask you, um, so uh, another thing I want to ask you what that I noticed about, like, um, because I'll be telling people this anyway, because people be, I'll be like, man, like, I know me personally, I don't listen to the radio, but I'm always like, you got to be careful what you play on the radio. And some people say, Oh no, they could just turn away. But my whole thing is I feel like they're programming people with what they play on the radio. Look, look. Repetition on the radio went crazy in the 90s. Once everything went digital, like back in the 80s, the top 10 songs would play once every three or four hours. Now the top five songs play every 60 to 70 minutes. Right. The repetition is just ridiculous where you know, a top song would play 35 times in a week. Top song now plays 160 times in seven days. So they drill it into your head and the playlists have gotten smaller. And it's 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 a shame. It's a lot of syndication. And, you know, in 96, that's when things really changed. The telecom act that Bill Clinton signed that allowed a radio ownership and television ownership in the same market to expand before you could only own two stations. You go to some stations in the South, iHeart has eight radio stations in the same market. Mm. So you can't go anywhere. You can't be competitive. You can't say you want a better salary because they own the competition. So it's, you know, things have changed and it's all about corporate dollars now. Yeah, then I noticed too, like, so, um... I was just looking. I'm like, man, I'm 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 in my forties, so I'm not like on it on it far as what the kids listen to. But I'm like, okay, they saying the, the tightest rapper right now is NBA Young Boy and Young Dirt. So I'm like, let me go listen to them. See what they talking about, man. That shit like like now like now I realize why so many rappers are dying because it's worse now. Like now it's just like the beat. I shoot you in your face, fuck you, kiss your girl. Like it's just like it's like direct, direct. Now it's not like how you know. Tupac, first off, fuck your bitch in the click you claim. No, nah, it's like, fuck all that. It's like, fuck your ass, fuck your mom, I'm shooting all y'all tomorrow. <laughs> it's just like, I'm like, yeah, let's rap it like that now. Guns all know, the video. And, and they get rewarded for that. But I mean, these records have such what we call in the business quick burns. Like, DJ Khaled will come out with a record and you'll hear it 10 times and you're tired of it. Right. You know, and, and, and radio and television is three categories in research, recognition, popularity, and fatigue. 
And a lot of records you get tired of real quick. You know, there's some songs you can hear 50 times. They don't make songs like that anymore. They're real quick burn. And that's okay. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like boxing. Back in the day, heavyweight fights was everything. You know, now the heavy, you don't know who the heavyweight champion is now. That's how music is. It's, it's sort of not the same. It's not as, you know, I remember being young, going to see the Jacksons, Jackson 5 in high school. You know, it was just a different vibe. You knew everybody in the group. You knew who the bass player was in LTD or Maze or New Birth or Parliament or whoever, Funkadelic. But now it's all individuals. And it's it's cool, but it's it, music doesn't have the same power. You That's know, it. we used to sit around and look at albums and clean weed on them and let the seeds run down. But you had the double album set of the Isley Brothers. You know, it, it was just a different feel. That's the album. Ask you the new artist that you get a feel from. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I still. But it's always weird, folks, man. It's not, you know, and my station, I got a station in, in Orlando, which keeps me up on it. But like I said, the burn factor for me is I get tired of them, uh, you know, as fast as they come out, a song's hot. You know, like I love money long, hours and hours. Like that's, that's like a hot R&B pure song. And a lot, you know, I've always loved J. Cole and Common and certain people, but I'll also tell you I love Maze and Frankie Beverly, you know? And it's just funny, I got four decades of music in my car, you know? So there's different stuff to me that is timeless, that's always gonna sound good. And, you know, there's songs for, my son, he works in Atlanta. He works for uh, Quality Control. So he's on the road with Little Baby and, mm. you know, everything Atlanta. He's And we just talk about it, but he rides around with a bulletproof vest, you know, because that's how they roll, you know. I don't get it. It ain't that serious to me. I carry a gun every day. I live in Florida, but... I'm not going out to shows where people are shooting people or getting robbed. Or you, like they have this thing in Atlanta, they can't stop at red lights because that's mm -hmm. where everybody gets robbed. And they pay 4000 a month in bills and red light tickets. You figure. Mm. And then I, um, I didn't hear you mention this in your book, but I wanted to kind of, uh, so did you get involved with like online radio? Nah, man, online radio ain't radio. Uh, so you call radio like the in your car? I just call radio professionally done. There mm -hmm. are some good online stations, but everybody that plays music don't have a radio station. You got an internet radio station. That's different. There's terrestrial radio. There's Sirius XM. And then there's... I'm gonna do it myself radio and nobody's gonna learn and or have a rotation or no, you know, so anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm tough on radio. Yeah, I'll ask you, so how do you feel like about like, you know, like the like online radio stations or now you have podcasts or like you said, people have playlists. So how do you feel like- Well, like I, I love podcasts cause that's why I'm here talking to you. 
I don't listen to internet radio. And I know a lot of artists that pay money to be on internet radio. And I've done plenty of interviews, but the numbers ain't there. You know what I mean? If I'm going to do something, if I'm going to market a record, I want you to get a quarter million listeners, not 20, you know, not a hundred. So I'm like, I'm not going to pay you to promote on your internet radio station. If you want to support it, great. But I'm going to support something I'm going to get royalties back from. You know, years ago when you interviewed my cousin Chris Porter, that record, The Water Dance, did a hundred and I think it's up to 190 million streams now. Mm. But guess what? The radio spins that we got from 10 radio stations, the publishing paid more than YouTube. Right. You know, so if you're chasing for 0.0006 cent on a stream, and if the radio's giving me six cent a play, then I'd rather be on the radio, you know? And that's why all the big artists own the radio, even though radio's not as important, but the publishing side, and they call it music business for a reason. They're I'm gonna say, uh, another thing, man, I wanna make sure I read this right, but it sounds like, um, what you was talking about in the book with Master P, when you say you put that gun on the desk? Oh yeah, Master P back in the day. <laughs> he was pissed that I dropped all his records when I was programming BET in 99. So uh, I dropped all his records cause you know, BET supported him. Once he got on MTV, he did a big promotion with them in LA and, and I taken over. So I dropped all his music. So I had a hotline in the office then, right? And I get a call and I answer the phone and I hear, it's just P, it's P, why are you not playing my record? And I thought he was saying to me, P as in Paul, like Paul Porter. I said, this is P. He said, no, this is P. And I didn't know it was Master P because he had the super accent and shit. I was like, look, motherfucker, I don't know who you are. Fucking two days later, Master P showed up with his wrestlers and his boy, Big Bob, and they were all, you know, they called me from the front desk. Oh shit, Master P's here. And his record label told me he was coming. So I used to carry a gun. So when Hemp P and Boz came in the office, I put my Smith and Wesson 6906 on the desk. And Boz was like, oh shit, this nigga's crazy. I love you, man. And they had brought me a box of sneakers. That's when he was trying to play NBA ball and yeah. the converse deal. And they brought me four pairs of sneakers and they were like, put that gun away. I said, man, I hear y'all beating up people. I just want y'all to know I'm shooting. I'm not getting fucked up anymore. But uh, anyway, that, yeah. Now say how many of those records you still got? You were saying that you used to get all those records from uh, record labels and stuff? Man, I've given all them shits away, bro. Uh. Matter of fact, the last one I gave away was Whitney Houston died. And Donnie Simpson called me about it. And I said, Donnie, you got one with your name on it. I had one to the station. And he said, man, P, I really wanted it. And I'll never forget, because I FedExed it to him, because that was the last one on my wall in this house right here. And I sent it to him, and he was supposed to send me something. He ain't said it back yet. Yeah, I'm glad you told, reminded me. <laughs> and I'm gonna ask you about, uh, 
you was talking about in your book, but just how like so how from payola back in the day to like so what is payola now? Like how is it now? Yo, payola's always gonna live. Uh-huh. You know, back in the day, it was plane tickets, some cocaine, and a hundred dollars. You know, and that shit increased to when I got to BT as program director in '99. That Saturday, I go to my hotel, and that's how I opened the book, talking about Karen Klein. Mm-hmm. I got a FedEx that said Karen Klein. I'm like, I don't know no Karen Klein, and it was addressed in Atlanta. I go to my room, I open it up, three white envelopes filled with ten grand a piece in it, no name, no note, no nothing. And then I get to work on Monday, and a big indie rep said, "We sent your welcome back to BET money," and I'm like. Whoa, this is how the game has changed with your program. And at the time, I, I was in charge of 66 million homes and had an impact. And that's how people pay you off. You know, everybody thinks you can do shit for free, but everybody's got their hands out now. DJs, if you in Jackson, Mississippi, they charging to get spins, BDS, immediate base spins, because everybody knows that converts into money. So thinking that you're going to have a great record that goes to the top without money changing hands, it don't happen, you know? Or maybe it happens once in a blue moon, but, you know, everybody says indie, but there's a point where the majors take control of everything. I'm going to ask you, so how much money do does an indie artist need for a record to take off? You know, I I say you got to spend 50 to 100 grand just to Mm. crack to, you know, and you can stay local. It all depends what your plan is. You know, 50, 100 grand is not going to cover the country. But uh, I'm saying if I say I tell artists start in a region, if you from Miami, start Miami, Orlando, Tampa, if you up in Richmond, do Richmond, D.C. and Baltimore, places you can get to. But if you got a lot of money and you got a half a million dollars, then I can get you, you know, 35 stations and you can tour across the country. But most of the time, people don't have money. You know, everybody thinks they can put it up on YouTube or Instagram and make a ton of money. And that that happens one in a zillion. But there's a lot of good indie artists out there that have planned, most people get into business and they never think about how to make money. If your only way to make money is record sales and publishing, you lost because streaming pays zero. So uh, you've got to be a performer and get in. And there's so much money overseas. You know, there's so, I I work with artists overseas more than I do here because it's a lot easier to get played in Japan and Dubai. I've had number one records in Dubai pay club dates over there, pay 25 grand, where you'd be lucky to get two grand or five grand. Okay, if your money bag, yo, you get 200 grand. But I'm just saying where artists can make a good living is overseas. So shit, like, so it is like, I know, uh, so it's really just basically hard for an independent rapper if they don't got that bag. Yo, think about how many rappers are there. That shit's a dime a dozen, bro. You know, and half of them are speaking the same shit. It's really hard. It's hard to control your neighborhood because we're so oversaturated. 
Like nobody's really changing the bar. And if you if you're gonna change direction, like you know, Kendrick Lamar's got a record that's coming out next week. It's mm-hmm. supposed to do three hundred and fifty thousand units they're predicting already. Well shit, that shit's taking him fifteen years of right. work. You know what I mean? I remember when I was hearing them on mixtapes and my son was telling me and blah blah blah. You know, everybody thinks this grind, look how long Drake's been at it. You know, and, and his rise ahead of time. Now I got a guy on uh, Broadway, Michael Miles Frost is playing MJ and MJ the musical. Mm. Best singer I've heard in 25 years. You know, he's killing it. He's going to win a Tony, but he's going to make a record like Bruno Mars, not DJ Khaled. But, but look up Miles Frost. He's mm. incredible. Now we ask you what you think about Six Sonic. I like it. It's it don't drive me crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Love's Train by Confunction still sounds better than Bruno Mars' version with Michael Cooper. I love it because it's R and B, because it's instruments and rhythms and melodies. You know, do I think it could be better, or do I think we should have more competing? where people are sucking it up because they ain't heard it in so long, you know? And only Bruno could do that, you know what I mean? They put the money behind Bruno Mars and leave the door open. It was, to me, it was sort of like a parody more than a song. Right. I I liked it, but I'm like, come on, man, yo. And, And Bruno's been biting style. He had Prince down with Gorilla. You know, when he goes into his acapella. But it's good, man. It's good to see music turning back to some, uh, you know, chords and strings. I think we got lost with digital. Like, everything was so beat-making. And I work with all the cats, man. My guys started, you know, with Biggie back in the day. Ron Lawrence and Derek Angeletti, man. D-Dot Angeletti. You mm-hmm. know, but they were all computers, but they listened. You know, they grew up here in the late 70s, 80s, coming from New York. So they always, and Ron Lawrence went on to produce Luther and Aretha from, you know, all the hip-hop records, the money, power, respect, and all, all those biggie records like Hypnotize was his record, Faith Evans. But you got to grow in this business to last. And then why did you name the book Blackout? Blackout means a temporary loss of consciousness. And I think as black people in music, we've lost our mind. You know, if you ask a 35-year-old who their favorite saxophone player is, they don't have one. Mm. You ask them who plays a guitar, they don't have one. We're some of the best musicians in the world we don't know musicians. We only get excited because we see Alicia Keys play the piano for a little second. Like music is, I, I, I mean, we rule the world when it comes to music, but we're not seeing us as musicians. Nobody could imitate Prince. You know what I mean? It's sort of easy to, you know, do some of these other things, but there's, there's something about music to me that has power, you know? The biggest record in my life was Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. Imagine in the 60s growing up, 
and my birth certificate said colored, and we didn't want to be called black because you that meant you were ugly. Mm. You know, we wanted to be light and have straight hair like my boys, my Puerto Rican boys. And when James Brown came out with Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, I've been black ever since. I ain't been African-American. That's the power of music. And when you see a whole country singing, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. I used to ride my bike by his house and everybody was into the power. That's some power in music, man. When you, yeah. can, when, when you can make people be proud of their blackness because they had us shook. Nobody wanted to be black. You wanted to date Jane Kennedy back then. Now it's funny you say that because even, um. Kendrick, Kendrick had a song, you know, when the protest was going on, everybody was marching too, that uh, we gonna be all right. Oh yeah. Yeah, so they, yeah, that, that Black and I'm Proud though, that's my, I like that song too. Yeah, man, that that's the power. And some of the things I learned in love songs back then, you know? What you learn? Man, there was a record called The Floaters, Float On. It's 11 minutes. And one of the guys, you know, they had to break. And that's when people used to go to parties and dance slow. And then there was this part, uh, the, the music would break down. And one of the guys in the group would say, my name is Paul, you know, blah, 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 rap. And I would always say that at parties, be dancing. Yeah, my name is Paul, float on. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, music spoke to you, you know, in a different way. And it was slick. It was slick, like well, even when D'Angelo came out with Brown Sugar, you know, you didn't know what Brown Sugar was really, like you can play it with your parents, but it wasn't like you were mentioning early, like these records like, stick a dick in his ear, motherfucker, kill him. <laughs> you know, I'm like, damn, is there any, even, even when uh, Cardi came out with WAP, I'm like, really? That's how creative y'all are. Wet ass pussy. And then, then we got everybody said, oh, that's women's femininity. Stand up. I'm like, man, shut up. Man, bullshit lyrics. What was crazy to me was I saw that uh, I saw that you did a clip on, uh, I think it was Entertainment Tonight by Rihanna. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the song was talking about suicide. Yeah, got was a boyfriend at the end. Yeah, what was crazy though was the part where it said it was like Neo wrote the song and Neo said, Oh, it's not about that. It's just listen to the music and bob out. Oh, what the hell? I was like, man, it's tripping. Oh, man. yeah, but that's what I mean. Ashante, she had a video had nothing to do with shooting somebody, but they they always do it for sensationalism. You know what I mean? It's like, really, Rihanna, you gotta shoot this bro. And so many people deal with suicide. I'm just saying, you know, and, and I'm not approved, man. I listen to everything, but I think about kids, like how influential music is on them, you know? And, and, and you can't tell me this music hasn't changed us. It's so inherent in our culture. And if you only grow up listening to abuse and thinking that bitches are hoes, that's how you go deal with them. Yeah, that's what I was because uh, I was listening to Dick Gregory and he was talking about the music and he was like, man, I don't listen to no music because he was like, I don't want to listen to negative shit all day. And then he was like, think about kids. He was like, they learn the ABCs through repetition. And I was thinking about my kid. I was like, yep, that's how she Yo, Dick Gregory, 
he did a morning show when I was at Magic in DC working with Kathy Hughes. Mm-hmm. He was on with Kathy Hughes three days a week. Mm-hmm. So the one year I was there, I learned everything from Dick Gregory because he was in the building and he would come and he had me going to get colonics and and this talking about life and all the shit that he's been through. So I've always been a listener, even though I'm a talker, but I'm going to soak up as much game and experience. And I learned a lot from Dick Gregory because he was a rebel, man. He was a rebel with his health. And, you know, I I didn't even think of some of the stuff that Dick Gregory, and and that's what we don't do enough. That whole respect thing, a 60-year-old don't talk to a 40-year-old no more. Or people go, oh, you too old. Like, history repeats itself. This has different shapes and sizes and disguises, man. But we all go through the same shit. And sometimes... I can see things that somebody else can't see and vice versa. It's like you will. But if we don't exchange that knowledge in between each other, we lost. And we got to exchange it because it's us against everybody. And I, we was, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this in the book either. So what would you change about the radio? I would change ownership. <laughs> That's what I'd change. And radio's changed. Radio's not the same thing. People... People, everything's on your mobile phone now. Right. Radio's a dying art. You know, it's great for adults. And if you look at across the station, matter of fact, ratings just came out. Hot 97 in New York's number 17. Mm. Ours number 15. They were always one, two, and three. But young people ain't listening because they're not programming anything. That's what you can pick it up on your phone. So... But you know what's number one in New York? BLS, the adult urban station. Because adults 35 up are still listening. They want to hear a song more than a beat. And you can hear a beat on your phone anywhere. That's why I was telling my friend, I said, with the music going now, I think the next song, like the next, the the music going to end up being just Beats and gunshots to the beats. They ain't gonna rap no more. They just gonna shoot. That's, that's <laughs> happening already. That's that's up in Chicago. That's been happening for years. Yeah, that shit's I'm like, this shit crazy, man. Like man, anyway, tell your wife thanks for really reading and giving you cliff notes, man. You're doing a good job. She made it, it yeah. easy for you. She yeah, probably we, highlighted shit. Yeah, we was working, man. We uh it was like I said, I like the book. And then I was saying, um, you was talking about, I know you said uh, the dude was telling you to uh, just do voiceover, but you said you like the women. Oh, yeah, but, man, I don't want to get into that part. I mean, it sounds like in the book, none, none of your relationships was working, though. That's why I was wondering, because all hey, this- they They work for time. They work for times. Like, the 80s was something, the 90s. Yeah, but I, I've never been able... I'm here with my dog still now, bro. So uh, it's okay. I got a Rottweiler and she loves me. All right. And then, um, so what would you just want to say to the people, anybody listening, what would you want them to know about you? Yo, reach out and touch, man. If you got questions about this industry, I'm at uh, MusicBizU on IG, Twitter. You know, you don't have to buy the book. You can Google C-SPAN, Blackout. They gave me 90 minutes from D.C. and we talk real stories about the industry. 
If you're interested in radio and television and film, my sister's been at NBC 25 years. My brother's in charge, brother-in-law is in charge of the Olympics. Like they got plays on Broadway. There's so many different jobs out here that people have to stop thinking of the basics, you know, producer, blah, blah, blah. There's jobs in film and television and booking and touring. And, you know, I do a lot of college lectures, luckily. Of course, the pandemic ended that, but there's a lot of ways to go and reach out and try. And it's not always about getting to the person at the top. You know, it's finding out how the system runs and, and trying to stay in it for the long run. You know, it's, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I've been doing this shit since 1978 was my first check. So it's been a long time up and running and I've seen a lot of people go and come and die and live and become rich and become real poor. And, and there's a lot of pain in this, this entertainment business and it's not for the faint of heart. And there's, there, there's gotta be a side of us that is ready to fight and revol revolt, sort of stand up. You know, everybody says, well, let them own this, let them own, no, take some of that shit back. You know what I mean? Take it back, we can be owners. You know, like I said, if you're not at the table, you're gonna be on the menu. You, you read my book, I was on the menu a lot of times over the years and had good runs places, but it always ended up with, oh, you know, when Donnie Simpson fired me at NBC, it was cause my girlfriend and his wife were best friends when we broke up. Oh, I couldn't hang out with them. And his wife said, get rid of Paul. And he told me that shit. Like, where else can that happen except black people? You know, <laughs> he told me that shit when I got fired. I was like, get the fuck out of here, man. You told me cause Charlene and Pam don't get along. I wrote that shit in the book because that's how crazy it was. Yo, I took Kathy Hughes station from a fucking zero to a 4.6 in nine months. And I remember when she made her first million dollars, you know, because the ratings went up and all of a sudden in spots, you know, billing went from 100,000 to 4 million that year. And then she fired me because I went on vacation. Oh, and because my bonus was too big, you, you know, I had, right? Yeah, I had a big bonus and she's pissed off. And then later she hired me back and said, apologize. But I'm just saying shit like that happens, man. So this, this don't think this is some struggle, but you know, maybe I should have studied harder. You know, I went to Northeastern, went in for business, came out a DJ a DJ and a basketball player, you know? So, you know, I'm not complaining cause I'm healthy and I'm here and I get it. Cause I've seen a lot of people go, man. A lot of people go and, you know, that's why I'm working, man. I'm still working for people out here, but reach out and touch man. I'm at music biz you on everything, even cash app. So if I drop some wisdom, drop some dollars. But I own a station in Orlando now with, with my partner, uh, The Wire 98.5. You can get The Wire 98.5. We're a nonprofit. We're teaching young kids to be broadcasters 
and we're right in downtown Orlando and Pine Hills. So I take pride in that. I got my studio at home. I do voiceovers uh, for TV, radio, for people, for whatever. So I lock myself in this booth here and uh, and I read. So what you say, what's next for you? The beach. Huh. Well, you gonna come out here? I'm in San Diego. Oh, you out there, man, that's funny. I was out there not too long ago. Oh, you rich. Okay, rich people live rich, in San yeah. Diego. Shit, I'm all right. <laughs> no, I, 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 got, I got some good people out there, man. A friend from college has been in San Diego. I was out there for a conference, but yeah, Cali, man, y'all y'all got them expensive homes, man. I can't afford out there, bro. Yeah, I, um, I'm from Mississippi, man, so I just joined, I joined the Marines, but I just stayed out here. I wasn't trying to go back to Mississippi, so. What part of Mississippi? Columbus. Okay. Uh, it's like by Starful. Yeah, yeah, cause my I had a boy named Larry Doc Elliott. I can't think of the town he's from, but when we would drive to his house, we would pass Jerry Rice's house. Mm, yep. On this little road, and you know, when I went to his house, and that was the first time I've been in the deep south. Like Mississippi is outhouse south in some parts <laughs> of town. And I was like, you know, the deepest South was for me, Ohio. I used to send, spend summers in Ohio, but I've always lived in New York, DC, Boston, or Miami or Atlanta, you know, now Orlando. So, you know, my urban upbringing, when I get out to San Diego, I'm like, y'all are soft out there, but y'all gangster too, though. But then I noticed with, the, with like you were saying, like, uh, how, like, with the jobs that always in with them firing you, but it just seemed like uh, every time somebody new come in, it, it's like you're fine because every time somebody new come in, they want their own. Yeah, they want their own team. team. Yeah, like like let me tell this last story and close it. So I was at BET for ten years. Stephen Hill came on from uh, MTV, mm -hmm. and Stephen Hill was from DC, and he sort of followed my career. He worked at ILD. And he's probably about six, seven years younger than me. So when he gets to DC, I was program director and they brought him in like nine months after me as vice president. He never talked to me, knew him all these years. We had one meeting and then three months later he came and said, Paul, I gotta let you go. I was like, yeah, I figured you ain't said shit to me. He said, you not right? Huh? He didn't look in your eyes. No, no, no. And he's shorter and all that shit. But I used to hate him for that shit. Then about a year ago on Clubhouse, I was in a room with him. You know, it was when Clubhouse was starting. And I'll never forget it was Tyrese and Chuck from All Hip Hop. And they were bringing people on the stage telling industry stories. And they had Steven up there. And uh, he was before me. And then they, Chuck brought me up, Paul pulled it. That was the first time I got to talk to him since he fired me. Mm. And that was, in, that was in 2001, it was 20 years later. So the funny thing was, I said, yo, Stephen, I said, yeah, last time I saw Stephen Hill, uh, he fired me. But if I saw him today, they thought I was gonna say, I'd kick your fucking ass. But I said, I'd give him a hug. 
So he said, oh, man, Paul, that's nice. And he said, I never told you this. Back when I got to BT, you were my favorite DJ of all time. I bet you never knew when I got to Boston at my first job for six years, I called myself the captain, Stephen Hill. Mm. That shit freaked me out. I was like, what? How come you never said anything? And then it clicked. That was his problem. That wasn't my problem. You know what I mean? His ego, like he said, he was intimidated by me. And instead of learning, like when I got to work with Frankie Crocker, one of my radio idols, I was like ready to protect Frankie. But that's how I, I, I learned too sometimes. Some of the pain we keep on ourselves, that was his fucking pain. That was his problem. But it, uh, I made it my problem and took it personal. But as I grew longer, that's why I, I grabbed to him in love and I got to hear that story 20 years later. I was like, that motherfucker called himself the captain? Fucking midget? Nah, anyway. No, nah, that shit was funny about that shit you said about Frankie. So he just, he had you uh, doing the I show see. like his voice and shit. Yeah, yeah. Do everything <laughs> except say yeah. your name. I could do everything except say my name. I used to do the sign off, but I was doing that shit just like Frankie. I was like, 107.5 WBLS. Oh, shit. That shit was great, bro. Owning New York, and at 8 o'clock, you would play that uh, There I Go, There I Go. He had the theme songs, and the organ would kick off, and you say goodbye to New York. Best time in my life. That shit was better than TV doing Frankie Crocker's show, sitting in for him. He only had a couple people in 30 years sit in for him. And when he picked me, I was on top of the world, bro, in New York City with, uh, even though that was the end of his career, but that's how big he was to me. Yeah, I want to say thanks for coming through politics with me. Yo, let's do it again, man. But uh, next time I won't smoke weed ahead of time and be tired. But I, I think we had a good time to bond. Tell your wife, man, keep reading for you. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say, man, I really appreciate uh all the contributions you you done gave to the industry, man. Like, like I said, for people like you, I wouldn't be no people like me. So I just appreciate yo, all we porters, man. I sent you a number. Like, yo, everybody in this industry don't bite it, you know. I try to help people. You might be helping me get my next gig. So let's all stay in touch. Like I said, I do voiceovers. Look up my VO reel, Paul Porter VO. You'll see it on G-Man. Hey, you know, let's make money together. Or at least let's share some time and some experience. Hey, you want to hit him with your social media one more time? I'm at MusicBizU on IG and Twitter. I got an app, MusicBizU. And uh, I always talk back. You know, reach out. Just give me a day. Don't be calling me up, but uh, text me. I still got. Thank you for listening to the Pope Politic and Show, your home for self-help meets hip hop. For live content, subscribe to our YouTube channel.